Welcome to Reimagining Atlantis. My name's Tori, and I'll be your host. Welcome back, my friends and Atlantean enthusiasts. You have come back again for another weird rambling of my inner monologues. Thank you. I want to preemptively apologize if I happen to miss a week or two in the near future. I've started a new job, which I'm exceedingly happy to have. I will have a pretty decent commute between here and work, and I plan to dedicate that time working on this podcast. I hope that we won't miss any time, but just in case, I thought I would throw a disclaimer. I feel like you have all grown and learned so much. I feel the need to have to explain less, and I focus more on the barrage of information stuck in my head. We've made it past my original 60 pages of notes, and I'm now pulling weird, obscure information, but I'm still processing it, so I'm sorry if it's not complete. As I've said before, I like to take my time to process things. I'm sure you guys won't want to wait years for me to figure out something small. For this episode, we'll focus on the lost city of Sace. As Plato isn't the only person who has this story, presumably the Egyptians still have their copy written in stone. Perhaps we won't have to drill a hole in the Sphinx's right paw to find the hidden passageway to the Hall of Records touted by Edgar Cayce. (sighs) I will dive into Edgar Cayce at some point when I'm desperate for material. As I'm sure you can probably tell from my tone, I'm not a huge Edgar Cayce fan. I have many reasons for this, and perhaps one day I will go into a deep rant as to why he is wrong and possibly borderline insane. I love to keep an open mind, and I want to believe in the fantastical or the magical, but the logic side of my brain reminds me of the pseudoscience of visions and prophecies. I like to think of myself as Scully from the X-Files. For this episode, I use the help from the following websites worldarchaeology.com and perseus.tufts.edu, wikipedia, and frankgodito.org. Located in Lower Egypt, or geographically Northern Egypt, within the Western Nile Delta, there was a city of power called by the Greeks Sais and by the Egyptians Sao during the 24th dynasty or 732 BCE to 720 BCE the city of Sais was at the height of its power the temple of Sais had a medical school associated with it as did many ancient Egyptian temples the medical school at Sais had many female students and apparently women faculty as well, mainly in gynecological and obstetrics. And for those not informed, that is the girly parts and everything that comes out of them. An inscription from the period survives its says, and it reads, I have come from the School of Medicine at Heliopolis and have studied at the Women's School at says, where the Divine Mothers have taught me how to cure diseases. Plutarch, said at the Shrine of Athena, which he identifies with Isis, 
in Sace carried the inscription, I am all that hath been, and is, and shall be, and my veil no mortal has hitherto raised. Hector Barilos of The Childhood of the Christ, in part three, has Sace as the setting for the youth of Jesus until about the age of ten, after his parents leave their homeland to escape the massacre of the innocents by Harold the Great. Texts tell us that around 3000 BCE, the city of Sais was a cult center of their creator and war goddess, Neith. I've been hinting around that Athena originated in Libya as she was the goddess in Egypt before she became the goddess in Athens. Remember that Plato's screenplays were meant to be propaganda to the greatness of Athens, so there is definitely a bias on his Atlantis story. Just to be clear, I want more than anything for Atlantis to be true, so I myself am biased. However, I am open to heartbreak, if I am convinced that the entire story was metaphorical. In the mid-19th century, modern western explorers recorded a massive mud-brick enclosure wall and citadel at Sais. However, by the 19th century, most of these structures had been removed by Egyptian treasure hunters, local builders and landowners, leaving virtually nothing of this once great city. In 1993, an archaeological team deemed the Delta Survey visited Sais and, despite its battered appearance, identified its potential. Together with a team from the EES Durham University and Egypt's Supreme Council of Antiquities, the excavation of the city of Sais began. They found a great pit that contained settlement remains that go right back to the Neolithic period, or 42,000 BCE to 39,000 BCE, or better known to us, as the end of the Stone Age. During this exploration, modern explorers recorded a massive mud-brick enclosure wall and citadel at Sais. Sadly, most of these structures had been removed by European treasure hunters, local builders, and landowners, leaving virtually nothing of this once great city. In 1987, the Delta Survey found a massive mud-brick walls on the northern enclosure. Researchers identified this area as likely site of citadel or royal palace the 26th dynasty of kings during 664 BCE to 525 BCE, or the time when Solon reportedly visited. Sadly, little remained of the city's once royal occupation, bar fragments of shattered stone, monuments, pottery fragments lying on the surface of cotton and wheat fields. The Delta Survey has been fruitful in finding lost traces of this once vibrant city. They continue to excavate the area and local villages looking for reused blocks. Perhaps holding up someone's bedroom somewhere is a pillar describing the story of Atlantis. I know, our last segment seemed a bit depressing, but this one, I offer some hope. Pandora's last evil. Here's Diodorus. Consequently, certain of the Greek poets worked the incident into a myth. 
to the effect that Heracles had killed the eagle which was devouring the liver of Prometheus. The river in the earliest period bore the name Okeani, which in Greek is Okeanus. Then, because of this flood, they say, it was called Aedis, and still later it was known as Egyptus, after a former king of the land. And the poet also adds his testimony to when he writes, On the river Egyptus, my curved ships, I stayed. For it is at Thonis, as it is called, which in early times was the trading port of Egypt, that the river empties into the sea, the last name, and that which the river now bears it, received from former King Nihilus. So, that area that they're talking about, there's a few points I want to bring up. The name of this place was called Thonis to the Egyptians, and Heracleon to the Greeks. It was a city located within the Nile Delta. It gets its name from Thonis from the name of the warden of the canopic mouth of the Nile, who arrested Paris, Prince of Troy, for kidnapping Helen. Also, please note that they once called the Nile Okeanus, which emptied into the sea. Also, Euripides, Stesochorus, and Herodotus all claim that Helen never made it to Troy. Instead, their boat was sent off course and landed in Thonis Heracleon. Paris was arrested and found guilty of rape, and they sent him off to Troy to keep Helen safe until her rightful husband Menelaus would come pick her up. Strabo also mentions the city in the following statement. The Nile flows from Ethiopian boundaries towards the north in a straight line to the district called Delta, and then being split at the head. As Plato says, the Nile makes this place as it were a vortex of a triangle, the sides of the triangle being formed by the streams that split in either direction and extend into the sea, the one on the right to the sea at Pelusium, and the other on the left to the sea at Canobis, and the neighboring Heracleum, as it is called, and the base by the coastline between Pelusium and the Heracleum, an island, therefore, as it has been formed by the sea and the two streams of river, and it is called Delta on the account of the similarity of its shape, and the district at the vertex has been given the same name because it is the beginning of the above-mentioned figure and the village there also called Delta. What's interesting about all of this is not the missing Helen, but the missing city. Thonis was well documented, but modern archaeologists were unsuccessful in finding it. Twin Steles of the Decree of Nactimbo I specify that one-tenth of the taxes on imports passing through the town of Thonis would be given to the ancient sanctuary of Neith by Sais. The city also mentions in the decree of Canopus honoring Pharaoh Ptolemy III, which describes donations, sacrifices, and possession on water. 
Faunus was originally built on some adjoining islands in the Nile Delta. It was intersected by canals with a number of harbors and anchorages. Its wharves, temples, and tower houses were linked by ferries, bridges, and pontoons. The city was a trading port and by the late period or 664 BCE until 332 BCE, it was the country's main port for international trade and collection of taxes. It had a sister city, Nucratus, which was another trading port, lying 72 kilometers or 41 miles farther up the Nile. Goods were transferred inland via Nucratus, or they were transported via the western lake and through a water channel to the nearby town of Canopus, or for onward distribution. If you are watching, or have watched, Marvel's Moon Knight, this next bit will sound a pinch familiar. Thonis had a large temple to Khonshu, son of a moon, who was known to the Greeks as Heracles. It looks like we have another Heracles, folks. Make note that the count now seems to be at five. Later, the worship of a moon became more prominent. During the time when the city especially flourished between the 6th and 4th centuries BCE, a large temple of Amun Garib, the supreme god of the Egyptians at the time, was located in the middle of the city. King Nectembo I made additions to the temple to the 4th century BCE. Sanctuaries in Heracleion, dedicated to Osiris and other deities were famous for miraculous healing and attracted pilgrims from the wide area. During the 2nd century BCE, Alexandria superseded Thana's Heracleion as Egypt's primary port. Over time, the city was weakened by a combination of earthquakes, tsunamis, and rising sea levels. At the end of the 2nd century BCE, probably after a severe flood, the ground on which the central island of Heracleion was built succumbed to soil liquefaction. The hard clay turned rapidly into a liquid and the buildings collapsed into the water. A few residents stayed on during the Roman era and the beginning of Arab rule. But by the end of the 8th century CE, what was left of Thonis had sunk beneath the sea. In 1933, an RAF commander flying over Abu Kir Bay saw ruins under the water. At that time, most historians believed that Thonis and Heracleion were two separate cities both located on what is now the Egyptian mainland. The ruins submerged in the sea were located and explored by the French underwater archaeologist Frank Godio in 1999, after a five-year search. Numerous finds from the site have indicated that the city's period of major activity ran from the 6th to the 4th century BCE with finds of pottery and coins appearing to stop at the ends of the 2nd century BCE. Godito's finds have included incomplete statues of the god Serapis and the queen Arsinoe II, who became king. 
No more than 5% of the city's area was explored by the archaeologist. Around 210 CE, a barris, which is a type of ancient Nile riverboat, was excavated from the waters around Heracleon. Its design was found to be consistent with the description written by Herodotus in 450 BCE. In July of 2019, a small Greek temple, ancient granite columns, treasure-carrying ships, and bronze coins from the reign of Ptolemy II, dating back to the 3rd and 4th century BCE, were found at Faunus. The investigations were conducted by Egypt and European divers, led by Gideo. Underwater, off of Egypt's northern coast, they also uncovered a devastated historic temple. The main temple, during the waning years of the city and having Greek cultural influences. As of 2021, excavations of the underwater site are proceeding slowly. In August 2001, it was announced that wicker baskets containing both the fruits of the dome palm tree and grape seeds dating to the early 4th century BCE had been discovered within the ruins of the city, alongside a number of treasures in ceramic, bronze, and gold. Many of the bronze artifacts were statuettes of the ancient Egyptian fertility god Osiris, and many of the ceramic figures had likely been imported from Attica. A wooden sofa used for banquets was also found alongside a gold amulet of high quality. The artifacts had been preserved within an underground tumulus and the channel surrounding it, possibly as Greek funerary offering explaining the relatively untouched nature of the find. Despite the cities having continued to exist well after the 4th century BCE, the objects recovered from the excavations illustrate the city's beauty and glory, the magnificence of their grand temples and the abundance of historic evidence, colossal statues, inscriptions, and architectural elements, jewelry and coins, ritual objects, and ceramics. Excavations here have revealed beautiful archaeological materials such as bronze statuettes. On the north side of the temple to Heracles, a grand canal flowed through the city from east to west and connected the port basins with a lake to the west. Archaeologists have found a black grandorite stele that is 1.99 meters or 6.5 feet high, and it bears a royal decree dating to 380 BCE by Nectimbo I, first pharaoh of the 30th dynasty, which was believed to be in the Temple of Neith at Sais. While this may not be the stele depicting the Athenian-Atlantean-Egyptian war, it holds hope that the story may once again be found. This sunken city has been preserved for thousands of years, promising great revelations for the civilization frozen in time. I check back every few months or so, hoping that the lost temple of Neith is found again, and perhaps written on the pillars would be the unadulterated story of Atlantis. <laughs> Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Your support means everything to me. If you want to help make this podcast grow, 
please subscribe and tell just one other person about this podcast today. We are each our own hero in this story we call life. That means one person has the power to change everything. Who is the one person you tell today, hero? Let's help keep Atlantis alive, or at least reimagined. A new episode will be released every Thursday at 9 p.m. See you then. Wait, are you still here? Thank you. It's appreciated. Here's a clip for next week's episode. Mythological tradition states that Alcides Heracles stayed and slept in this cave before doing his 11th labor. From the caves of Heracles heading southeast about 20 miles in the town of Missouri, there is still a commemorative spot where the hero fought the titan Antaeus. Then approximately 10 miles southwest is the archaeological site of Lyxis. Lyxis is an ancient city founded by the Phoenicians between the 8th and 7th century BCE before the city of Carthage. Lyxis reached its maximum extent of more than 60 hectares between 50 and 150 CE and became the largest city of Tangentine 